Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Slow Home Podcast. My name is Brooke McCallery and I will be your host today. This guy's name is Benjamin McCallery and he will be your co-host. 22, feeling blue. Not really. This is a good episode, isn't it? It's a great episode. Um, you, you speak to Kate Flanders about, um, well, essentially getting out of debt, I guess, mm-hmm. and what she did over a 12 or 24-month period. About two years it yeah. took her to get out of about $30,000 of consumer debt. Huge. So that's credit, basically credit card debt. Yep. Man, I envy her. <laughs> uh, it's actually a really powerful story, I think, because basically, and I don't want to give too much of our conversation away, but Kate um, worked really hard to get herself out of debt over a couple of years and then found uh, what she calls lifestyle inflation creeping back in, like her spending started to increase and, uh, you know, she started maybe wasting money on things or experiences that she she didn't need to be. Uh, and it was kind of there that I'm, I realized that that's a really pretty universal story. I know a lot of people who will work really hard to maybe regain a financial footing and then once they become comfortable again, you slip back into old habits. Um, I know we've been there. I know a lot of people have been there. So it was a really cool conversation. What I enjoyed uh, particularly was what she did to stop that and to combat that, she kind of, uh, well, she put herself on a shopping ban and from there she discovered minimalism. I guess as she was simultaneously decluttering her house and she got rid of a heap, like maybe 60% of her belongings over that year and, uh, you know, at the same time discovered minimalism and that's really kind of what we speak about quite a lot today. But she's a cool girl. I liked her and I continue to like her. (laughs) Um. I, I I must admit, from a personal point of view, the the feeling that you get when you pay something for something in cash is so much better. I'm just, and I'm appreciating it so much more now um, compared to the feeling that you do get when you pay by credit card. Um, you just know, you know that that you know is going to come back and bite you if you if you're not on top of it. And so I. You know, I really appreciate this conversation that you have with her. Um, likewise, I appreciate the sponsorship of Audible.com. My segues are getting so much better. So good. Um, so today's episode is sponsored by Audible.com, where you can get yourself 180,000 audio products, audio books, and other things similar. Listen to them on your um, your phone, your tablet. Android device. Also Android iOS device. device. Yeah, that's all I got. Good. Uh, so, you know, one of if you're interested in uh, in signing up to Audible, you can get yourself a free audio book and also a 30 day free trial of Audible. If you head to audibletrial.com/slow, you will get yourself um, a code to. And what book are you going to recommend? This one. Um, this is a new book. Go Set a Watchman by um, Harper Lee. I have to admit, I haven't finished this book yet and I'm really torn by it. It's because um, To Kill a Mockingbird's probably one of my top five favorite books ever. I know I'm probably the only person in the world to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's tearing at the heartstrings a little bit, actually. Uh, but apparently, the audiobook uh, read by Reese Witherspoon is 
a really beautiful production. And if you're interested, you can you can grab yourself that or any of the other audiobooks by heading to audibletrial.com slash slow. So if you would like to hear more from Kate uh, about her, her process, she's continuing on with her um, her financial blogging and her minimalism blogging, uh, but she writes at blondeonabudget.ca. And I would definitely recommend that you check her out. She actually has a, um, a resource which um, you can get. There's a free version and a paid ber- version called Mindful Budgeting. And I'm often asked – I'm actually asked a lot about uh, mindful – how to approach budgeting and spending and money in a mindful or a slow or an intentional kind of way. And I would definitely recommend that if something if that's something that you want to find a bit more about, I would head over to Kate's site and check out her uh, mindful budgeting tools and uh, if you would like to find out more about the things that we talk about in today's episode you'll be able to to head over to slowyourhome.com slash 22 for episode 22 excellent on with the show enjoy the show Great. How are you? Really well. So good to talk to you. I know it took us long enough. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We were saying just before I record, it's been maybe two months, and I think my kids got sick, and I got sick, and then I couldn't make it. And anyway, we finally got here about two months later, and it's it's lovely to talk to you. Um, <laughs> so, are you in Vancouver? Um, <clears throat> I was in Vancouver. I actually just a few weeks ago moved back to my hometown, which is Victoria, BC. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. It's only a ferry ride away from Vancouver. So it's on Vancouver Island and it's actually the capital of BC. Um, yeah, it's really nice to be here though. It would be. Yeah, I've got friends um, who live in, in Victoria. So um, yeah, I'd love to get there one day. Uh, anyway, this is not a, a Canada chat, but I would I would happily make it a Canada chat if I could. <laughs> um, so uh, I'd just love to dive right into your your story because you know um, I, I do get a lot of emails and requests from uh, listeners asking about money, like the topic of money and how it fits into mindful and slow and simple kind of living, and that's basically you know that's your that's your whole deal. So I'd love to just jump into it and see what you've got to offer. But um, yours, the story that you've kind of had over the last couple of years has been amazing. You know, you've gotten out of debt to the tune of something like $30,000 over the last couple of years. You've embraced minimalism, decluttered 70% of your belongings. Uh, You're in the middle of a two-year shopping ban and you've recently quit your full-time job to go full-time freelance so like they're massive changes to have made over the past few years huge (laughs) um can you tell me when you list it like that that does sound crazy (laughs) i mean it is it's it's astonishing and i guess that's kind of the thing isn't it when you're in the midst of it you don't see the big picture like you don't see the ten thousand foot view you just see the thing that's happening next and sometimes i think if you're able to step back or if you know some person lists it to list it out to you you're like oh yeah it was kind of a, a big shift wasn't it <laughs> um but what 
did did was there a catalyst? Was there something that happened or a realization or a moment in your life that caused you to start making those changes? Yeah, so I think the first one was um like you said I was when I was 25, I realized I was maxed out with about $30,000 of debt and most of that was consumer debt. Um so I didn't have a ton of student loans or anything like that. Um I had about maybe $4500 that was a uh, student like that was for tuition. Um but it was all consumer debt. So I did everything from like finance a brand new car, uh, buy all brand new furniture to like furnish my apartment when I moved out. Um, yeah, just, just everything. And I just kind of, I wasn't a huge shopaholic, but I still just kind of bought whatever I wanted and did whatever I wanted. So, you know, I went out for every meal and th- that friends requested and, and any book that I thought I wanted to read, I would buy it. And, and then at 25, I got to the point where like the credit card companies wouldn't give me anything more. Um, I consolidated my debt at one point. So I had a car loan, a consolidation loan, and I had credit card debt that I had re-racked up. Um, and I was just completely maxed out um, within like $100 of my credit card limit. And I had $100 left in my checking account. And I had to make that last me for six weeks. <laughs> and when you get to that moment, I mean, there there is just no option other than to do something about it. Um so I, I just had to start getting creative. <laughs> um, and, it, and it sort of just started from there. So, yes, yeah, so I paid off all of my debt in, um, yeah, two years, like you said. And that was, that was definitely kind of the beginning of everything. I mean, debt is such a – it's a heavy load to carry, isn't it? I mean, when, you, when you're carrying debt, particularly debt of things that you've already bought and used and possibly even forgotten about or, you know, meals that, that you've already forgotten about. Uh, it's such a, a heavy, almost like a physical um, weight, isn't it? So I guess the process of lightening that load and then getting rid of it completely must have been really transformative. So was that um, when you were paying off your debt, was that the only thing you were focusing on in terms of changing your life, just the debt? No, I'm like, that's another good question. <laughs> um, no, I, but you're right in that it, it was a huge weight. I remember at the same time that I realized I was maxed out, I was also my heaviest I've ever weighed. And I was drinking more than I ever drank. So uh, honestly, in some senses, like from, from an outsider's perspective, my friends still thought I was fine because, you know, I was still out and about and having fun. Um, no one knew about my debt, but when I look back at that and, and realize how unhealthy I was at the same time, um, yeah, there was just a lot going on. So I, I remember when I was realized I was maxed out, a, how much of a, f- I don't know. I just felt like a failure. Like I was, I was single and I don't have kids or anything, but I, I have younger siblings who are eight and 10 years younger than me. And so I've always kind of felt like, um, like a third parent or at least like a role model to them. And I, there was this moment where I had to ask my sister who was 17 at the time if I could borrow $70 from her because I had done the math and knew that in that six-week span I had I needed $70 more to make everything work. Um, and I just, uh, I felt awful. And that that feeling is honestly what I held on to throughout the entire time I was paying off my debt. Um, but as for the other stuff, it was sort of this like, like being maxed out was kind of this catalyst moment for a bunch of other changes because as soon as I, well, I think I'd probably paid off about ten or $12,000 and then all of a sudden I was like, 
you know what, I want to start working out. And then all of a sudden, in four months, I'd lost 30 pounds. Um, and then it took like another year for me to decide to quit drinking on top of that. But but in that two year period, I did all of those things. So I lost a bunch of weight, paid off all my debt, and I quit drinking. The, the massive changes. That's awesome. And I think it speaks a lot to like the um like the power of incremental change, but then you get to a certain point, like a tipping point where it's the, 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 um, the, uh, what's the word? Like the, um, the motions behind you, like the, um, ah, like you're pushing a snowball down a hill. (laughs) Yeah. 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 As soon as one, as soon as one thing was going, it just, it just made sense to start changing other things. And it was also because it, each one gave me a little bit of confidence, right? So I was probably at my worst when I was maxed out. And then, you know, I'd paid off maybe a third or a little more of it. And all of a sudden, I felt a little more confident, like, because I knew that I had set this goal for myself, and I was actually achieving it. Um, and then it was kind of like, oh, you know what, I could also set these other goals for myself and achieve those as well, if I just work at them and make them a priority. So... Yeah, confidence is a huge factor, isn't it? I guess part of it is the stories that we tell ourselves, like, you know, oh, I'm just not good with money, or you know, that's just something that I do, or um, you know, I I don't like I I go out and drink and I like it and I don't want to stop. Like the stories that we tell ourselves are really powerful, and that's because they become the actions that we make. So I guess once you started to see that you could achieve, you know, the goal that you set out to achieve, which was to get debt free you start to tell yourself a different story and that, you know, feeds into the confidence and, you know, your ability to, to make those changes and stick with them and feel good about them, which then, you know, breeds more confidence. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And I don't know if I'd ever even really thought about that, but um, yeah, yeah, you definitely change your internal narrative. Um, There's not very much now that you could say, like, could you accomplish this? And I would say, no, it might take me a long time to figure some things out. But it, but I've done I have done so many things now that I'm pretty confident I could tackle probably anything. Um, it would take time. But <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting. So um, to get into like the practical side of it, um, with all of these changes that you made, but we'll start with the debt, because uh, I know that's something that people are really curious about. How did you go about it? Was it did you make like a I mean, I know you said you made the decision when you got maxed out, like, well, I've got these $200 and the bit that you you had to borrow. Um, and you lived within that, you know, those means for that six weeks. But after that six weeks, uh, did you make a, like a wholesale change overnight and saying, I'm not shopping, I'm not, I'm not, you know, eating out, I'm not doing anything all overnight? Or did you start by making smaller shifts to the way you were living? In the first few months, I would say the only things I really changed were that I started saying no to going out. Um, so, you know, when friends would ask to go to dinner, I would either just say no. And this was this was bad. I was in my last year of university, actually. So I often used homework as an excuse because I was too ashamed to tell people uh, what was really going on. But I, yeah, I would, st- I would start saying no to dinners. I might suggest something else, like, why don't we go to your house and make something because that's cheaper. Um, and, and it was surprising as soon as you suggest that a lot of friends are very receptive to that because they don't really want to spend the money either. They just kind of think it's something that you all have to do. Um, and so I started with stuff like that, but 
uh, the biggest thing in that same time period is that I decided to start tracking my spending, which was something I had never done before. Um, so I would still spend money on stuff, but I would write it down every single day. And it became very clear that there were areas I could cut back on. Like when you write down that you spend $3 at Starbucks every single day, it becomes very clear that you may may have a Starbucks problem. <laughs> um, and so after a few months of tracking my spending, I just noticed that naturally I was spending a bit less because I didn't I didn't feel good about some of the places that my money was going. Um, knowing knowing like how important it was for me to get out of debt and kind of holding on to that feeling the whole time. When I would later look that I'd spent like $30 here and $40 there, I just didn't feel good about it. So, um, yeah, some of it was slow changes. And then, but after three months of tracking my spending, I probably got pretty aggressive at that point. Mm -hmm. I think um, that it's a big problem, the idea of kind of mindless spending. You know, mindlessness is something I've been thinking about a lot because I talk about mindfulness and the opposite really is mindlessness. Um, And it's just that kind of automatic, autopilot, you know, handing over the credit card, handing over the cash kind of spending without even thinking about it. And I guess sitting down and mapping out where that money goes, you can't you can't hide from the truth of that. You know, you can't kind of brush it under the mental carpet and forget about it. It's there and you see it and, you know, well, that's money that I quite literally kind of tossed away and I'll never get back again. Um, yeah, I think it's really powerful to, to be able to sit there and, um, see what you're spending your money on. And like you said, you only did that for a few months before you then got really aggressive. Um, so when you say you got really aggressive with your, you know, your spending and paying off your debt, what, what did that kind of stage look like? Um, okay. So it was same stuff where I just kept saying no to going out with friends. Um, but then there were just things like I stopped getting my haircut and and even at the time, I had a girlfriend who who cut my hair for thirty dollars out of her house, and I still just stopped doing it. Um, and that was and I only went to see her probably normally three or four times a year, anyways. But ev- like I basically just cut back on everything, so stuff like that. I never shopped, never um, bought anything unless it was a gift for somebody else, um, or like I absolutely needed to replace something. I stopped buying books, which was a pretty big deal for me. Um, and yeah, in, in some ways, now that I'm saying this, I, I keep remembering because it's like, now you kind of said it earlier, like now I'm doing this shopping ban. And in some ways, I'm like, basically, I've just reverted back to what I made myself do when I was paying off all my debt, um, which was just being really aggressive about not spending and only buying what I absolutely need. Um, so that's basically what I did for the two years that I was uh, paying off my debt. I just didn't spend money on anything. The other thing was that big for me now is um, during those two years, I think I only went on one trip and it was for a conference. And now travel is very important to me. So now I, I do still spend money on travel, um, but I did not at all really when I was paying off my debt. Um, there was a trip that I'll never forget. Like my friends did a 10 day surfing trip to Nicaragua. And it was only going to cost me like flights, hotel, food, everything. It only would have cost me maybe twelve hundred bucks, and and I still said no to it. Um, and that, that's one of those ones where I'm like, I might regret that a little bit, but it was still at the time, it was still worth it. So, I guess it's one of those sacrifices, one of those changes um, that kind of, they sting. You know, a lot of them when you're in the middle of them, you're like, oh, it wasn't so bad. Some of them do sting. 
I, but I guess it's the process of saying no to something now that you want to do in order to say yes to something, you know, in the future that you really want to do, which is, you know, be debt free and then travel and have that freedom that you now have. Yeah. Being debt free was so important. Like being maxed out was just such an awful feeling and, and I still remember it. Like I still remember how awful it felt. I remember the day I found out, like the day I finally looked at my credit card statements after ignoring them for months. And I remember crying myself to sleep for weeks um, and, and I just held on to all of that. So nothing else mattered. Like it, it was kind of sad. And sometimes I wish I'd gone on that trip or something, but it, it just didn't matter. Like being maxed out was so awful. My goal was to be debt free and then to be able to do whatever I want after that. And I guess that's where you are now. So, um, when you, the, the day that you paid off your final repayment, did you do anything to celebrate? Not really. <laughs> And um, I remember I went to, well, I was grinning like a fool <laughs> all day. Um, I remember in the evening, a girlfriend of mine went and I, or we went and got a coffee and we just went down to the ocean and kind of talked about, you know, what was next and how cool it was that it was done. And um, she was someone who had kind of been, I, you know, I hadn't told a lot of people about my blog or my debt um, in my real life until towards the end of being out of debt. Um, and so she had been a friend who I had told the whole time. And it was kind of nice just to share that with her. And, uh, and then actually, a couple weeks later, I booked a trip to San Francisco. So maybe I did that. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, so I guess before we move on, um, if you were to recommend to people one thing, you know, people who are struggling, they're kind of weighed down under the, um, you know, the, the burden of debt or they just want to shift the way that they're, they're spending their money, the way they're saving their money. If you could give them one piece of advice, what would that be? Like somewhere to start, I guess. I have so many right now and I'm always um, like cognizant of the fact that everyone's situations are different. So everyone's debt came from different places and, you can't, or like, I try not to put everyone in the same box. Like not everyone is a 30 year old single female like I am. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's two things. One, I would say that, um, if you have a bad feeling about your financial situation, um, just really owning that and trusting your gut, even if it means that you, you know, if you haven't fully embraced maybe how bad your situation is, like maybe you haven't actually looked at the numbers in a while. Um, I would say trusting your gut and then just running the numbers. It's really scary at first, um, but it's very eye-opening. And when I did that, it was probably one of one of the things that helped push me um, forward every day when I was trying to work on my financial goals is that I didn't want to be in that situation ever again. Um, so trusting your gut is huge. I've, I've definitely learned that lesson repeatedly um, I, 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 I would not have been maxed out ever if I had trusted my gut for about six months before that telling me that things were bad. Um, so trusting your gut and then tracking your spending always. I think it's more eye opening that we could ever imagine. And, and a lot of us look at it like it's a chore or, um, it's just, yeah, it's a chore. It's inconvenient, but even just doing it for a few weeks is, is extremely eye opening as well. I think it's one of those things too that we hear that advice, um, you know, I, I've heard it a few times from people who have paid their, like, paid their way out of debt and it sounds so commonsensical. You're like, yeah, I mean, I get it, I get it, you know, but I know where my money goes. It's really easy to dismiss that kind of advice as being 
too simplistic, but I think sometimes they're the best solutions. You know, you just, you literally just need to sit down and figure out where your money is going. And that's going to just shed a whole new light on it. And perhaps, you know, even just that, that simple process will inspire different spending habits and cutting back and that kind of stuff. But I think trusting your gut is, is huge too. And I think that's good advice for a lot of, you know, life when things aren't sitting right, you know, to really question why and how and what what might need changing and yeah i think it's really important it's um it's a tough one to learn because sometimes you wonder if trusting your or like if your gut is just in your head like if it's just some insecurity you might have or um like a little voice that's telling you something but it's like i used to actually feel sick when my credit card statements would come in the mail and there's a reason for that and uh, and there was a reason I wouldn't look at them. I would only peel back the corners, Brooke, and look at the minimum payment that was due. I wouldn't look at <laughs> anything else. So I never fully opened it. I never I never looked at all the money I spent, and I never looked at the full balance. The minimum payment, you could see it right on the outside, and so that's all I would look at, and then I would put it away. And, and yeah, and it was – I don't know. I mean, once I looked, obviously, it was eye-opening, but um, – yeah, if I had trusted the gut instinct that I was getting every single time they came in the mail, um, I yeah, it might not have been as bad of a situation. But um, I, I want to go back in time and give you a hug. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it must have just been so heavy. Yeah, and that's how I feel. Like I still, I get emails all the time from people who are, you know, they're just at the beginning of the journey, and I feel exactly the same way. Like they'll they'll send me an email, they'll explain everything that they're going through. And, and I get it. And I just, I don't know, like, I've, I think the other part is like, I've read personal finance books before and gotten read advice elsewhere before from people who, um, I don't want to say haven't been through it. But, but yeah, you like later learn that they grew up with rich parents, or they never were in debt and all this stuff. And it's amazing how much knowledge they have. But it's so different when you can talk to someone who's actually been through it. Mm. Um, so it's in some ways, I mean, I'm so glad that people feel that they can open up to me about stuff that they're going through, but I, I just feel like I wish I could hug everyone. (laughs) It's going to be okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I know that after you, you paid off your debt, um, or maybe even kind of at the same time, like they overlapped a little bit, you, you put yourself on a two year shopping ban. I mean, did it start out? Did, I think it started out as a one-year shopping ban maybe and then you've extended it. But can you tell me a bit about um, like why you decided to stop shopping and um, you know where, where you're at in that process now? Yeah, so it was actually about a year after I – just a little over a year after I paid off the last of my debt um, because you would think that in that time I had learned many lessons about, about finance. Um, but I actually, like, there were months when I was um, paying off my debt where I was putting as much as 55% of my income towards debt repayment. And that's very aggressive. Um, I mean, most experts would never tell you to do that. They would tell you maybe 15, 20, 30%. Um, so that was really aggressive. And, and when I, as soon as I became debt free, I basically just let lifestyle inflation creep in and got to the point where. I was only saving some months as little as like 8%. So I was spending a ton of money and most of it was on experiences like, like travel, going out with friends again, um, dinners and things like that. But, 
but I definitely started, you know, buying things again. Um, not tons of stuff, but books. Like, man, I had a crazy book addiction. <laughs> um, and so when I started looking at the numbers, because that's the great thing about my blog is that I've every single month I write, um, or I was writing at the beginning of the month what my goals were for my spending and savings, and then at the end of the month I would tell you what I had actually accomplished. And for like 12 months, I would say, you know, my plan is to save 20%. And then at the end of the month, I would go, well, I saved 12 or 10 or 8. And like people were so great and supportive. And they'd be like, that's okay, Kate, you'll do better next month. But I felt awful about it. Like I just did not feel good about myself and how little I was saving. Um, especially because I could see it all. I could see all the numbers. I knew where things were going. And so... There came a moment where I was kind of looking around my apartment one day and just realized how much stuff I had bought that I didn't actually need or that I needed once but never again or books I'd bought but never read. Um, and I just realized, like, I just need to stop altogether, kind of do what I had done when I was getting out of debt and go on a complete shopping ban. Um, so, yeah, I did finish the first year. Like, that was the plan was to do a one-year shopping ban um, and it would have ended on my birthday, which was July 7th. And then, I don't know, like in a, for the month leading up to it, I just realized it had kind of become too easy. And, and, and in some ways, like it's just my lifestyle now, but it had become too easy. And I realized that um, the one thing that I'd wished I had done throughout it was tracked everything I had bought. And that sounds quite silly, like I, but I wish I had tracked like, you know, how many bottles of toothpaste I bought or toothbrushes or just things like that like not food food's way too tough to track um but things things that you use and consume um and so I decided to do a second year (laughs) wow so and that's what you're doing this year you're you're tracking everything except for food that you purchase um and you're following how much you spend on that over the next 12 months yeah, I'm actually, well, I'm not even really focused on the financial side of it. I have, there are only four things I've purchased in July and I didn't keep track of any of it. They were all like $5 things, $10 things. Like I needed um, some Advil when I wasn't feeling good and, and like little things like that. Um, but it's just the number of things. Mm. I it was, I'm, I'm sort of considering it an experiment too. Like I think it'll be eye-opening for everyone at the end of a year to see how much like the average person consumes. Because I still consider myself like an average consumer. I'm still like I wear a little bit of makeup. Um, you know, if if I only wear one pair of jeans, if my jeans ripped, I would buy another pair and get rid of these ones. Um, and so I'm still like fairly average. I still use things. It's not like I use nothing and I'm getting by living in the woods out of a backpack. (laughs) Um, so, so I still think it'll be interesting for everyone to see how much someone actually needs. Um, and books, books, especially because it's been interesting. I thought it was just me. It was very personal for me, but I used to buy books all the time just because I thought I would read them. I would read them one day or whatever. And it got to the point where I had, I think, like 50 or 60 books on my shelves that I'd never read. And most of them, when I, like, took a triple look at them, I don't think I actually do want to read them anymore. Like, I did then, but I don't really want them now. And so the more I talked about it, everyone else seemed to have the same story. Like, I always buy lots of books, too. And I'm like, all right, well, we need to stop buying books for a few months and just read, read what's on our shelves. I think books are such a, a fascinating thing because sometimes 
we we buy them because we think we should buy them or we want people to think that we've read them or we want to appear, you know, well-read or interesting or well-rounded or, you know, whatever it is that we're, we're hoping to appear. I think books are something that, like, it's a relatively low investment in order to feel like you're, you know, grown up or <laughs> successful mm-hmm. or, you know, um, yeah, worldly. And, um, yeah, that's something that I had to face as well when we were going through our big decluttering phase. There was books in our house that I'm like, I, I don't know where either. I don't know where this came from. I don't know what my desire was in, um, you know, in buying this other than to look like I read, you know, I've read war and peace. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly it though. I used to think that way. Like, and I loved it because people would come over and look at my shelves and, and say like, Oh, like I would love to read this book. And then I would lend them to friends and <laughs> I don't know, they, they would think I was like great friend for lending them this wonderful book, but I had never read it. <laughs> so, oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, but I think there's like, that's a deeper thing too. You know, I know you have written a little bit about it and it's something that you realized in the first year of your shopping ban, but so much of the stuff that we buy is in order to look successful or because we think that that's what, you know, a successful adult would own you know you talk about having all matching furniture because that's what a successful Mm -hmm. you know grown-up person with their own apartment and their own job and that kind of stuff would have um you know so so much of what we buy we're just buying into this myth of the shoulds or the you know the successful life and what that looks like is that something you've uh you know come to realize over the last couple of years as you've decluttered and, and simplified yeah, I think um, it took about, yeah, I think I, I, I had removed probably 60 or so percent of my belongings before I finally realized that. Um, and it was because, you know, all my things that I didn't need were gone. And I was mostly looking around at my apartment and paying attention to the furniture and just looking at it. And it's it's nice when you have an apartment, I guess, that everything matches or is new or whatever, but when I bought all of that stuff, like I was miserable. Like I was at a horrible place in my life when I bought all of it. And, and I did, I bought it and put this like perfect little apartment together because I thought that it would make me feel better. Um, and it, I didn't realize until I'd gotten rid of so many of the other things that the, the furniture was sort of the beginning of it all for me. Um, so I've definitely realized that about myself. And so now it's so fascinating because I can't spend money um, well, on things like I, yeah, you just have to find your happiness elsewhere. And it's been very interesting because I've, you know, just become a lot more interested in hobbies and doing things. So I hike a lot now, like I go for probably at least three to four hikes every single week. Um, I planted my first little container garden. (laughs) And when I learned how to sew, like I had a pair of pants that I, that had a rip and old me would have just thrown them out and bought something new. And instead, like I went to the women in my family who like my mom's like a seamstress, like she she would make elaborate like Halloween costumes for me and made tons of my clothes when I was a kid. And I finally just said, like, can you teach me how to at least sew and, and fix this pair of pants? Um, and I've just become so much more resourceful. And there's been so much confidence, I guess, as well, that has come from that rather than just shopping and thinking that buying something new will fix something. Um, yeah, it's been a, like the first year of my shopping ban was a pretty wild journey. I, I definitely feel like I'm a completely different person right now. It's, um, I mean, but it, it's such a, 
a crazy thing to kind of learn, you know, in your twenties or your thirties that, like, oh, the things, like, oh, the, 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 you know, the, the life that we've been sold, it doesn't exist. You know, it's not because you get to where it is that you think you should be, where, where success lies, you know, with your matching furniture or, you know, whatever it is, your expensive shoes. And you get there and you realize that once you're there, there's just a whole other level of stuff that now you think now you're, you're being told that you need to get in order to be successful. You know, it's, so I think it's such a, like a liberating, but, you know, um, mildly horrifying thing to realize that you get there. Ah, this is not at all what I expected. Um, you know, it doesn't fix anything. It, it kind of puts a a layer of pretty pain on the outside, I guess, but it doesn't fix anything. So I love what you said when you said you've, you're learning to find your happiness elsewhere. Like that's such a, a, you know, a beautiful way of putting it because you've, you know, put this, this ban on yourself that you're following through and you've got no choice but to reacquaint yourself with happiness and how you actually find it. Yeah, I, I love it. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting journey. I feel like I just feel a little bit more alive than I ever used to. And and this, this part's kind of a, a tangent and something that could be talked about forever. But I think um, we've definitely grown up in a time where we pay for convenience. So we pay for everything to be done quickly and immediately. Like just put it in our hands within the next couple of minutes, done. Buy something online, have it shipped in one day, done. Um, but there's no satisfaction that comes from convenience and not that people are afraid of work, you know, but it's, it, there's just something that comes from doing something for yourself. Like I would so much rather, you know, learn how to fix something or grow my own vegetables. And it's not even just about saving money. It's just because it feels good. Mm -hmm. Like it feels good to watch something, you know, the take, watch your vegetables take a little time to grow. It's like fun to go outside and see it rather than just go to the store and pick something up quickly. It's just fun. It just gives you a different sense of joy. Um, and knowing that you've done it, like you've created it or you've put the work in, uh, it's just so much different than just going out and spending money on it. So I've just really come to learn like the things that I value more in the past year. And most of it is just my relationships. Like that's honestly a huge reason of why I moved back to Victoria. Like, especially because I now work for myself when I really thought about it, like for years I had thought I have to live in a big city to have a certain kind of career. Like I have to live in a big city if I want to do this or ever get a publisher or, you know, do interviews with the media or things like that. I just thought that that's what I needed and all I really need to be happy is like to be around the people that I care about the most. So as if I can do that and, you know, keep working for myself, then that's amazing. Like I feel like right now it's I'm probably in the best stage of my life I've ever been. Uh, and I've gone back to my hometown and and my life is slower than it's ever been. <laughs> so I think there's something in that because, you know, you're reconnecting with what is important, which is people and relationships and you know having um experiences you talk about experiences a lot um not only the big experiences like travel but the really small ones that matter and that can impact on your you know your mental well-being like growing vegetables or going for a hike or you know sitting down and having a really good honest conversation with someone who you love like that's the stuff that matters um you know and i think it's interesting that we get to experience those things which actually do fill us up not like the you know the markers of success but 
uh, when we slow down. And like you were saying, convenience comes into play a lot for us because we're all so busy and we're working so hard and, you know, no one has time to fix their pair of pants or, um, you know, to sit down and grow their vegetables or whatever it is. Um, you know, I, I just find it a really interesting counterpoint, I guess, that the reason convenience is so rampant is because we're all so busy. So I wonder what would happen if somehow we were all able to slow down just that minute, you know, and reconnect with, uh, you know, those kind of skills or that kind of feeling of confidence that you talk about from being resourceful. Yeah, even just as you were saying, I'm just nodding my head here. <laughs> I'm just going, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it would be interesting. The other thing with busy is that I feel like, and again, it's sort of another tangent, but busy in some ways I feel is um, not an excuse, but it's it's a mindset. It's part of the narrative. I think we're too quick to say that we're too busy to do things. Mm-hmm. Like, And then in the past year, I'm like, I mean, we kind of talked about this before, but I was, for the past year, I was still someone who worked, you know, 40, 50 hours a week at my job and did freelance on the side and did all this stuff. And I also learned how to be resourceful. You know, I I was still slowing down just in a different sense. So I think you can still be busy. It, it's just about making decisions of what's what's important to you. And it and it took a long time. I didn't do it overnight. I did not like you know ask for that sewing lesson overnight. I didn't ask for that until I was like nine months into my shopping ban. <laughs> um, but it's it's every little step, right? Like, and it kind of goes back to every little thing I've changed about my life, right? Like it's one step at a time, but every step adds a little bit of change and each change adds a little bit of confidence to try something else. And yeah, yeah, it's been a weird year. (laughs) (laughs) I can, I can imagine, you know, um, I don't, we're not big shoppers of either, of course, but, uh, I think putting those boundaries on your behavior for 12 months would just cause you to kind of stop and, pay attention to, um, you know, to those triggers as well. And the, like what your behavior would normally have you do. Like I was talking to, um, someone the other day and she has a, a Facebook free Friday. So she takes, um, you know, she takes herself offline for all of Friday every week and she actually deletes the app off her phone, um, every Friday and has to reinstall it every Saturday. And she said how interesting it is to, see like the muscle memory and what it is that drives her to pick up her phone on a Friday and like, you know, her thumb kind of flicks through her phone screens to find the Facebook app. Just like, it's just to put the boundary on it and to make myself not do this. It's really interesting because I see how often I actually do do it. Like how, how often that mindless kind of getting into Facebook or buying something or whatever, how easy it is to just slip into that mindless um, routine of, of getting online or, you know, buying something as, as in your case, I think it's really interesting to put those boundaries on it. Yeah. I like that example too. I think, um, that's something a lot of people talk about, right. Is like doing little social media bands here and there. And I think it's a great idea. I was off Facebook once for, I think like nine months and it was, it was really interesting. It, It definitely takes time to kick that habit. Um, but it reminded me of how I used to buy ebooks on my e-reader because it would only take, you know, other than punching in the letters to search for it, it would only take like two clicks to buy <laughs> it. And that that was such a habit for me that once I wasn't allowed to, um, I would constantly catch myself getting to it. And then you have to stop and think about, A, why you're buying it, if you really need it. Um, yeah, it's fast. I think... 
we spend money so quickly because we just have access to it and so many things are convenient and you know two clicks away and um but it's just yeah when you really stop and look at it um yeah it either like probably isn't as important as you think it is um or it can just become very eye-opening how how you've built those habits into your life that you've just let it be okay that anytime you think of something you let yourself buy it yeah no it's definitely it's definitely something to think about and I think you know I guess if you could offer some kind of advice to people who are looking at this and going well I couldn't do that ban you know in in those kind of ways or stick to those boundaries or those parameters or whatever I guess if you could suggest that people at least install some kind of buffer some kind of moment for them to stop and say do I really need this why why am I spending this why do I feel like this is going to make me happier or better or healthier or whatever um you know so if (laughs) you could somehow get people to install that kind of buffer or margin I think that would help a lot because it just takes away that that convenient mindset or like that mindless one-click purchase kind of thing yeah I think that's a good example I think um yeah, I like the idea of a, of a buffer. Like if you could, I wish, yeah, if everyone had to take like a 10 second pause, yeah, like the way you exactly. do in school, if everyone needs like a 10 second timeout and you count, you count down, right? <laughs> if you had a 10 second pause, it would probably stop you from making a lot of impulse purchases. Um, I also think, oh my gosh, what was I going to say there? I lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's okay. Cause I remember the word that I was struggling to find before momentum. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah momentum that is yep. the right one yep. <laughs> uh oh no the, oh no to go with the buffer is um i well i read a really great post the other day and it said um if you're thinking of buying like a physical object stop and ask yourself if you'd be willing to pay someone to move it one day mm. And I thought that was really interesting. And maybe just for me, because I've moved many times over the years. Um, And so I would not pay anyone to move a lot of things. Uh, But I thought that was also a good question to ask. Yeah, I think it is. And I think any of those kind of questions, like flash forward five years or, you know, ask yourself, um, am I happy to pay interest on this? Or like, Mm, do I want to be paying for this holiday a year after I come home? Or, you know, once these jeans have worn out and I've already, you know, given them away or thrown them in the rag bag, like, do I still want to be paying for it? Or, yeah, I think those kind of questions to just seat it in reality, you know, and what it, what the actual cost is as opposed to what the immediate cost when you're handing over your card or, you know, your cash. I think that anything, like any of those questions would be so helpful as that 10 second buffer. Yeah. The the other thing that I've noticed and yeah, we don't have to go too much longer if you don't, but the other thing that I've noticed over time is that uh, when you give examples like that to people, I've, I've learned over the year, both personally and through others that money isn't usually the motivator to make most decisions. So because again, we're sold on things like low monthly payments and low interest rates. And so people are just sold on those ideas and they don't really mind. Like they don't really mind the idea of going on vacation and paying for it for a year later, um, which I just think is interesting. But it it really puts us kind of backwards. You know, like every time you are being charged interest on something, it stops you from being able to do anything you want to do 
in a given moment. So if you have a ton of payments to make and then something really cool comes up that you want to do, like you often can't because you have payments to make on something else that you did before or you still owe for like a car or something else. So I, I yeah, for me again, it still always goes back to how you feel about it. Like I, I, I don't know if you're supposed to mix money and feelings, but I think it's there in every step of the way. Yeah, I think, yeah. Um, I feel like I could talk to you about this for another two or three hours uh, because, you know, it's so, there is so much to explore, you know, because I, I, regardless of whether or not we should, I mean, money and, and emotions, they do play into each other a lot. Um, you know, whether or not that's the, the wisest thing to do or not is, doesn't really matter because that's kind of how it plays out anyway. Um, but I think it's, yeah, it's something that it bears such a huge influence on so many people's lives. And yet we're, we're kind of terrified to engage with it. Um, because partly, I guess, because of what you were speaking about, like, what am I going to find when I do run the numbers? But, um, yeah, I don't know, partly maybe because the whole idea of money ties into this idea of a, a good life or a successful life or a free life or, or whatever, but it doesn't necessarily need to be in the way that we think it will be, if that makes any sense. But mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I, like I said, I would love to keep talking, but I fear we've come to the end of our time. But I just wanted to say thank you so much for, for joining us. It's been such a Cool chat. So people can find you at blondeonabudget.ca, can't they? Yes. Yes, yeah, excellent. I'm there. I'm on, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, all that good stuff. <laughs> Fabulous. Uh, well, thank you again for chatting with us, Kate. And, um, yeah, I, I think people will, will really dig this conversation. And uh, I'll chat with you soon. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. It was really nice to chat with you. It was a pleasure. Talk to you soon. Okay, thanks. This has been another episode of the Slow Home Podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe via iTunes and leave us a rating or a review. Thanks for listening.